Hello, welcome back to a new episode of Content Rookie. I figured I'd go back to the roots because all the way back when this podcast started in the pandemic, it was essentially just me talking about some of the things that I do in regards to content design, content marketing, copywriting, uh, sharing a lot of the things that I learned and some of my experience. And recently, I've been focusing much more on bringing on guests just because I really want to showcase how diverse content is. And I think that's best done by lifting other voices. But I had the idea to do an episode like this a while back. And I think it's a little bit old school because what I want to do today is essentially just talk to you one-on-one about content design. And the topic is how you can use content design in your everyday life to just improve how you communicate with people, of course, especially at work. But I think there are so many content design hacks that we can really benefit from in our everyday life. So this episode is essentially useful for anyone, not just content designers, or maybe even especially not content designers, because I assume most of them are already doing this. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to keep it quite short, probably a little shorter than the usual programming. And I hope you like it. Thanks so much for joining. This is Nicole. All right, so what are some content design hacks you can use for your everyday life? The first thing I wanna talk about is emails, writing better emails. I'm sure most of us get a lot of emails every day, of course, plenty of that is spam that we're probably not even looking at. But in a professional context, we usually have to write emails as well and receive emails. And the one thing that always stands out to me is that there is a lot of different communication styles people use in emails. Some people write really thorough, long emails. Other people write shorter emails and prefer to send several emails. And there's a a lot of different ways to write good and bad emails. But a couple of things that we do in content design that I think can help you write better emails are what I want to talk about today. Number one thing is that I think it's super important to lead with your intention or lead with your goal. Why are you sending this email? Is it because you're looking for input on something, feedback on something? Is it because you need someone to take a decision or are you just informing someone? That ideally should already be clear in the subject line, and it can also be a good idea to repeat it again in your first sentence. Like, hey, looking for feedback on Project X. Uh, I'm currently finished with Project X, first iteration. I really need your feedback. And another thing to keep in mind is that if you're asking for an action to be taken, like giving you feedback or making a decision on something, or, you know, maybe just giving a thumbs up that they've read it and acknowledged that they've received that information, also make that action you want them to take clear. And even better if you can give them a timeline. So think think a little bit like you're thinking about conversion when you're designing a flow, right? We want people to go through this flow to achieve something, to maybe do something, to maybe complete a sign up or buy a product. So there's so many things that we're pushing people towards exploring in the flow and so many different actions they have to take. Keep that in mind for writing emails as well. And it can be really useful for you to make sure that people actually take action uh, because it's very easy for them to tell right away, okay, this is what I'm expected to do. They can copy paste it to their to-do list. uh, And that's that. Another thing to keep in mind is formatting. I know when it comes to documents, most people are pretty comfortable using things like lists, paragraphs, tables, subheadlines. But honestly, if you're writing a long email, it can be worth it to do the same for your email. 
And again, if the email becomes very long and complex, and even though you're maybe using subheadlines and lists and things like that, try to summarize the main things again in the end. Summarize your intention, summarize what people are expected to do with this information, maybe even summarize your main points just to make it easier for people to scan through the email because a lot of us receive a lot of emails every day. So it can be a very good idea to do that. Um, so those are some, I think, very basic content design tips that can help you write better emails. And the next thing I would like to talk about is glossaries. I always like to talk about imaginary glossaries and actual glossaries. I make glossaries for pretty much anything I write, not just flows, not just documents. Sometimes when I'm writing a complex email, I even create a glossary for that. Oftentimes that's just in my head to ensure that I use terms consistently and that people understand the terms that I'm using. But sometimes for a more complex document, I even include it in the end, maybe as a footnote or as an appendix. So what's a glossary? Essentially what you're creating is an overview of all the different terms you're using in your email and what they mean to you or what they mean to those people. So this, of course, becomes important if you're using a lot of complex or technical terms or if you're maybe sending an email, writing a document for an audience that isn't as familiar with a certain product or a certain project that maybe is a little bit more complex then it can be a good idea to really make sure these are the terms that I'm going to use, um, this is what they mean, and maybe even include a short explanation if you're working with an audience that may not be so familiar with the terms. Um, I think it can be really good to, to also think about this for terms that maybe are pretty easy or that most of us actually understand, but to still stick to one term consistently to make it easier for people to take action and build that association. I think a good example of this is actually the term feedback. Oftentimes when you maybe receive a request to leave feedback on something, the term gets diluted with synonyms. So for example, someone will say, oh, I want your feedback on this. Can you test this out and let me what you think? Let me know what you think. Can you let me know your thoughts? Can you give me some input on this? All of these are, of course, different ways to ask for feedback, but for different people, they also mean different things. For me, I feel like it's a very different instruction if someone asks me directly for feedback on, for example, a specific flow, or if they ask me for input. That makes me think I can maybe like zoom out a little bit more, don't have to be so specific. Maybe this is still in like a concepting stage. Or if they just ask for my thoughts, I mean, then I'm probably gonna go really abstract and visionary. So be very specific with what type of feedback you want um, and then stick to that terminology consistently. I think it's a minor thing, but it makes a big difference. I've noticed a big difference when I've been asking for input or feedback, depending on how I use the term and what term I use. So glossary is really good idea, definitely for documents, longer slide decks, flows, of course, if you're a content designer, but may even make sense for emails, specifically when you're maybe new at a company or working on a new project with new stakeholders, a new team. You don't know how familiar our pe people are with certain terms. You don't know how they've been using certain terms. Terms can vary a lot, even if there are clear definitions, but companies may use them differently. So make sure you keep an overview of how you view terms uh, and to make sure you're actually aligned with the people you're working with around that. Then the next point I want to talk about is linking away from your document. Linking, for example, to further reading or additional context you want to provide. And I see this a lot in emails, in documents, in slide decks. And it's one of those things that has become a little bit of a pet peeve of mine because oftentimes there's just a bunch of inline text links without further context. So if I'm curious, I basically open all of those links in a new tab. 
and I'm usually faced with like a really big slide deck or a really big additional document. And I have to spend time on figuring out why this context is linked for me now, why this could be valuable for me. And usually that distracts me from the original document I was reading that maybe I'm supposed to work on or maybe I'm supposed to give feedback about. Uh, and that can be really confusing and distracting. And it's actually something we try to avoid in content design and flows, for example. We try to stick to one call to action. We try to not have too many in-text links to make it clear to, to users what they're expected to do and how, like, what the easiest next step would be in the flow for them, but also to not distract them. So why aren't we doing this when we're writing documents and emails? Um, my advice for any kind of additional context or further reading you want to provide, and I know oftentimes we want to because, you know, it helps with credibility. You look at all of these other documents that point to this point that I'm making, um, and it maybe makes you feel a little bit more secure because from, from school and university, we're used to always linking a bunch of sources. But in practice, I think it just doesn't work that well. So my suggestion is if you do want to provide further context for the reading, really think about does that need to be included in this document? If you think it definitely has to, then what I like to do is I like to add all further links either in the beginning or at the end of the document. And I add a short description on why I'm linking this. So what is this document? Why could it be relevant for you? For example, let's say I'm linking some user research. Um, I think this could be relevant so you understand my reasoning with this next step I'm proposing. And if it's a longer document, I also like to specify, for example, the pages or the slides that are specifically valuable because I don't want people to just scroll through 120 uh, 120 slide slide deck, uh, looking for like the one, two points that are maybe in there and relevant for them. So I really try to guide the reader in why this is important and where they could look at to make the work for them easier, to make the job for them easier. And by adding these further readings in the beginning or at the end of the document, you also eliminate the risk of distracting them while they're reading your actual document. You can, of course, also do this in footnotes if there's not that many additional resources. But again, keep in mind, if you're writing a very long document and then you have footnotes at the bottom of every page with links somewhere else, it is still probably going to be quite distracting for your readers because they will feel like they have to open this now. Otherwise, they'll forget about it or they'll have to go back a page and things like that. So definitely think about how you're linking away from whatever you're sending or whatever you're writing. Then a little bit more about the whole feedback thing I already mentioned a little bit earlier. So when you're looking for input or looking for responses, we can really apply conversion tactics that we use in content design here as well. So making it very clear by when you're looking for feedback or by what time you're expecting a response or a decision. So to really ensure that people can do this, again, put this on their to-do list um, and know exactly when they have to get back to you. If it's a little bit more complex, for example, you want feedback on specific copy, or you, but you also want more visionary feedback or just general thoughts, then again, be very specific on how they can provide that to you, um, how that could look like, maybe even mention some examples, especially when you're a new team or working with new stakeholders. Um, and then last but not least, uh, this is, I think, a side note that some people do pay attention to, but a lot of us don't. And I notice this all the time. Uh, and I think it becomes even more complicated now that more companies are working remotely and you may be working with people in different time zones. They have different holidays, different routines, things like that. Uh, what I really like to consider, and this is inspired by content design as well, because we always consider the user journey where the user is at in their journey. 
Um, and that is just try to consider where your reader or the receiver is when they receive this request. So consider things like time of the day. You probably don't want to ask for short notice feedback when it's Friday evening for them. Um, consider things like what time in the week it is. Like if you need something done a certain time by the end of the week, definitely try to send it Monday or even the week before. Think about things like holidays. I constantly forget holidays in, in various countries when with from people on my team. They're from all over the world. They have various holidays. I will need their input on something. And then I realize, oh, no, they're actually off two days this week. Uh, and then I sent them something. And, you know, when they come back from their time off, they have a ton of emails and a ton of requests. So it's very easy for my request to, you know, just not be seen. Um, so really take those things into account, time of days, holidays, um, maybe if you know the people on your team or that you're working with better, even their routines, you may know, okay, this person is an early bird, so I can send them something really early or maybe late, so they look at it first thing the next morning. Or maybe someone is more active in the afternoons and the evenings, then that's also something you can consider um, yeah, and keep in mind before you send something or ask for something. Uh, and of course, when you're working with bigger groups, it can be difficult to do that, especially if you're asking for for input from several people. But still to kind of keep in mind when is the best idea for me to send this can be really valuable. I really like to do this already when I'm kind of planning out my projects, giving myself deadlines or looking at the deadlines I've received. I try to plan in when would be a good time for me to ask for, for example, feedback or to ask for a decision on, for example, a blocker that I may have. So definitely keep that in mind. Then one of my personal favorites, the table of contents. I love table of contents. They're pretty much in every document I create. They're also in my longer emails. And why I want to bring it up today is that table of contents are also a great thing for meetings because they are basically your meeting agenda. And honestly, Nobody likes a meeting without an agenda, unless it's a recurring check-in, a recurring meeting where like you're maybe two, three people and you know exactly what you're going to be talking about, fine, don't have an agenda. But if it's a meeting with a couple of people uh, or it's a, it's a one-off meeting because you need input on something or you're working on something together or you just want to explore some thoughts, then do add an agenda. Good documents need a table of contents because it makes that document easier to navigate and it helps manage expectations. The same goes for meetings. So you want to have that agenda in there because it helps the people manage expectations. They know what's expected from them. And personally, I've seen this a lot, both when sending meeting invites, but also when I'm invited. If there's a clear agenda, I definitely tend to prep more for the meeting because I know what to expect. I know what kind of things we'll be talking about. So I'm much more inclined to feel motivated to, you know, check some things out in the beginning, take some notes in the take some notes even before I join the meeting to make it more productive. Without an agenda, you're essentially not giving people that opportunity. So think of it like a table of contents for your meetings. And I know it can be really annoying and sometimes it, it's difficult to set an agenda before you've kind of met up. But trust me, if you try this out and practice it, you're going to get better at it. And there's still plenty of room for open discussion. But give people the opportunity to kind of understand what what is expected of them when they join this meeting it's also great again for people that may not be able to make the meeting actually to contribute async or follow up on it or maybe even ask it to reschedule if they feel like this is really important all of these things they cannot do if there's not an agenda because they just don't know what the meeting is going to be about so definitely keep that in mind and then the last thing i want to talk about today is of course everyone's favorite and that is storytelling 
your personal tone and voice. Of course, all products have a tone and voice. All products in some way do their own storytelling. And the same you can do with your own communications, be it your documents, your slide decks, your emails, even your Slack messages or the meeting agendas you write. You can put your own personality in there. Of course, keep it professional. But, you know, you probably have a voice. There's probably certain terms you'd like to use. There's maybe a certain style of writing that, that reflects your personality more. So don't be afraid to let that shine through. Uh, for me, of course, as a writer of many years, it's quite easy to do that. I know my voice when, I, when I'm let loose in a document. People usually recognize that I'm the writer because I have like my little quirks and things that are in the text. And I personally really enjoy this when I see this from other people as well, when I can essentially tell from their writing, okay, like this is coming from my colleague, let's say David, or this is coming from my other colleague, Emma. Um, and I really enjoy that. And I think it's a great way to build connection remotely through writing and through documents. Um, and it's also good practice, actually, because usually you have to adjust your tone a little bit to the situation. For example, your first client contact email or your first document that you're writing for a new client on a new job uh, may sound quite different from a Slack message you write a couple of weeks later. Um, and the presentation slide deck that you're actively communicating to a group of people in a meeting is probably going to have a little bit of a different tone from very like solid tech documentation. So it's also a nice way to kind of explore how it is your writing change. And if you're more conscious with that, you learn a lot about writing and also how to just write better. So that's kind of the last thing I wanted to give you on your way. Um, so these were a couple of things that I think you can do to hack your everyday communications with some content design thinking. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really miss creating this style of episode, but it's pretty difficult to come up with these topics on your own and then find the time to kind of write out the points you want to make and then find the time to, the, to record them. But hopefully next year, I'll do a couple more of these. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for everyone that shares the podcast, tells me that they love the podcast. Also, the people that are asking um, for different kind of topics, they're on my list. Hopefully, I'll be able to cover a couple of them next year. Um, and big shout out to everyone that had Content Rookie on their top podcast lists and Spotify wrapped. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And I hope you tune in again next time. Thank you so much for listening. This was Content Rookie. Bye-bye.